Sunday morning, reaching towards the afternoon, and me bopping in my ACU. Hold up. Bulk up. Show no shame in Jesus' name, man. When I say hold that shame, I mean hold that shame up high. Everybody on the outside already talking down about you for one reason or another. They see what's on the outside, but God saw the inside of all that and still let you in the door? Do you realize what that is you're walking in? That's that forgiveness. That's that favor that can only come from the one true God. So with that being said, the doors of the church are open. Come as you are. This is church with a double cup. And I am none other than your brother, XL Wilbur, reporting to you live from your side. And I'm grateful for those who have joined me again this episode. And for you who are joining us for the first time, welcome. Because this is the Bible study podcast that questions God. And before that saying makes you run away, I need you to understand something. When it comes to God's word and reading God's word, it doesn't always make sense to us off the bat. So what we need to do is ask the Holy Spirit to guide us, ask questions. And this podcast is just for that. As we take a chapter out of the Bible a week, each episode, and break it down. And we put the word on top of the word to piece the puzzle together what God is really telling us and to really learn God's nature. So with that being said, join us. Now, thank you for diving into this study with us. What we're going to do is we're going to continue already in progress the second part of Luke chapter 22 that was started on episode 7. This is episode 8, and we're going to go right into the second half of that and finish the chapter on out. Luke chapter 22, when God told Jesus no. So as we get back to Luke chapter 22, verse 33. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag or sandal, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. This is in reference to when Christ sent them out to minister in Luke chapter 10. Then verse 36 here says, he said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it. And also a bag. If you don't have a sword. Sell your cloak and buy one. And I'm thinking to myself, I've been over in the Middle East. Those winters are harsh. And I didn't think the gospel took an off season. So I'm saying sell your coat and buy a sword. So basically he was giving them the game. He was saying sell your coat and buy some heat because it's on. They loved us then. But now you'll have to protect yourself when I'm gone physically. He was saying that basically I'm going to be on the other side working things out for you after now. You're going to have to put it together for yourself down here and use your better judgment. If that means having a weapon on you, then you do that. This is frankly what Jesus is telling us right here. There's no guesstimate. And he says, sell your cloak and buy a sword. For what? Because you need to protect yourself. Then in verse 37, he says, it is written. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me. It's reaching its fulfillment. And had me ask the question, hey, God, why was Jesus numbered with the transgressors? He had no sin, right? Why was he numbered with transgressors if he never transgressed? So in the Amplified Version, it says in verse 37, For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was counted and classed among the wicked, the outlaws, the criminals. For what is written about me has its fulfillment and has reached its end and is finally settled. So it had me thinking deeper. What is being fulfilled exactly? As I asked earlier in another chapter, what is being fulfilled? And then we go to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. 
My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So, he's numbered with the transgressors because he was taking their charge and their punishment. That's all they could see, that law of death. That's all they could see is the fact that he's taking their charge. Oh, they said he did it? Yeah, that's the one we punished then. So he was counting among the transgressors because he was taking on their rap. He was taking on their weight. And it says, how? I'm asking how is he prolonging his days if he's sent to die? Like if his whole purpose was to die here on earth, why does this say he prolongs his days? Then the message Bible in this verse 10, it tells me, still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. More so, we look at it like this when the New Living Translation tells us this in verse 10. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And then we put some speakers on it on the amplified side of things. It says, yet the Lord was willing to crush him, causing him to suffer. If he would give himself as a guilt offering, an atonement for sin, he shall see his spiritual offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will or good pleasure of the Lord shall succeed and prosper in his hands. Now here we notice something that a lot of people didn't even consider is the fact that Jesus still had a choice here. The verse says, if he would have given himself, he'd live on through us, which is how he prolonged his days. But just consider this. What if Jesus would have just jumped down off the cross and was like, ah, I did it. I got down from the cross. Ah, witness my power. But at the same time, it would have been no more than a magic trick that had died over time. He didn't battle hell. He didn't do anything spectacular. It would have lost all its true meaning. Think about that. No resurrection power. No, people knew he was dead too. And they seen him up walking with the holes and the marks in the, on his body and the holes in his body that he had when he was crucified. They were like, it's gotta be him. But at the same time, yo, none of that. Like I say, it would have been a magic trick that had died over time if he'd just hopped down off that cross. Would have been no real saving power in that. So at the same time, I'm grateful for what he done. We know how the story goes. I'm dumping ahead, but at the same time, let's continue with what we got here. Going back to Luke chapter 22, Verse 38, and it says, the disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. And he said, that's enough. Jesus said, that's enough. Because then his disciples, they was like, we on that stick talk, that stick talk. <laughs> he said, man, we said, look, the disciples like, man, we're already strapped. Why wait? You ain't got to die. We already got that. You telling us to go buy swords to get prepared for what's coming. We can make the what's coming not happen and still put you on the throne, baby. <laughs> so these disciples, they still were not understanding the full plan of Christ laying down his life. They still wasn't getting it after all this time of hanging with him. So verse 39 tells us Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will be done, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, 
he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now I want to stop here to debunk some myths about this blood dropping to the ground or this sweat dropping like blood to the ground where people have tried to medically prove that why Jesus had blood coming from his forehead or sweating blood. And no, it's just me being a man who's been in the military for almost 20 years. I've sweat profusely. A man who works out vigorously, I sweat profusely. I've been there. I've done that. I've been a rambunctious child who's wrestled with his brothers and flipped off over bikes that hit speed bumps and things like that and smashed my elbow through a glass picture frame while wrestling with my brothers. I know what it's like to bleed. I know what it's like to sweat profusely. And those two liquids do come out quite the same. But at the same time, it says here in this word, his sweat was like drops of blood. In other translations, it said his sweat was as drops of blood. Never did it say Jesus prayed till he started bleeding from the face. Never did it say that. It always says his sweat dropped like drops of blood. That means it ran down to the point where it was abnormal to the way it ran down. He sweat like crazy. And it was the anguish. He said he was in anguish. An angel had to come minister to him. And I bet that anguish, I kind of feel like the anguish probably came from Jesus being pissed with God. Being upset with God for having to die for people who didn't even understand what he was there for. And it reminds me of when Beanie Siegel was on the Tax Season podcast and he talked about a guy who sucker punched him on camera and he knew the guy because they were, he said they prayed together. They were like his Muslim brother. And he says, I can't be embarrassed by the sucker punch. Forget my reputation of what people think. He says, because I love him. And he betrayed me that way. And I feel like that's why Jesus was so in anguish because he was so upset about it. He said, man, pass this cup for me. These people don't even care that I'm dying for them. The people I've been trying to teach this whole time still ain't getting it. And I bet he was at, he, he was at odds with himself about that because, of course, he was God in human form. So he's trying to like beat his, he's kind of beating himself up. I don't believe he was getting second thoughts, but at the same time, there was a God father and a God son that was right there. And they were conflicting with each They were hurting. And he was like, you're trying to tell them God was still saying no to him after all that. That was crazy. But this anguish is why he came to be like, yo, all right, your will be done. So in verse 45, we see it says, when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. So I'm thinking to myself, if I'm looking from the human perspective, they probably cried themselves to sleep thinking, man, our leader is going through it over there. The one we thought had it all in the control, who's the smoothest guy we know, he, he's going through it. Ain't no hope for us, man. And they kind of probably lost all hope to see that their leader was there going through all that anguish. Finally letting that, that anger out probably right there in front of them. Like I said, it was a stone's throw. How far can you throw a rock? So they seen it all. This is how often have we wanted to sleep our sorrows away? Now, I know I've been through a hard time. I've had me a day or two with news on top of news, and I'm still trying to scratch my head to figure out how to make the short term meet the long term. You dig what I'm saying? And I don't want to do nothing but go to sleep and pray it all go away by the time I wake up. Just talk myself into thinking that maybe a nap will give me the mental strength I need to face this problem, even though I don't have an answer for it right now. So I know what it's like, and I bet they were exhausted from the sorrow, as it says right here, to the point they cried themselves to sleep and prayed that when they woke up, they would have strength to either face it or that it would all go away and Jesus would change his mind as to how he wants this thing to go. But all in all, it wasn't up to Jesus. It was God's plan. So 
When you look at verse 46, it says, Why are you sleeping? Jesus asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, I understand this in looking at the earlier part of the chapter because Jesus wanted them awake because he had already told them how Satan wanted them separated from him. And now it was really game time, so they really had to be on the A game to keep their mind right. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, "Eh, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, any of you who've seen The Godfather, I believe Godfather 2, when Michael Corleone was already the boss of the family, and he kissed his brother, Fredo, he said, he kissed him with the kiss of death, is what they call it. And this was the kiss of death in reverse, because the heartbreak was still the same. The heartbreak was still there. The one who was being betrayed gave the kiss in Godfather and said, you broke my heart, Fredo. You broke my heart. And his brother turned on him to get him killed. But here we look at the fact that Jesus' follower, his brother, in the walk, in the faith, his, his disciple, his own disciple, of all the people that hated him, his own disciple was the one that, was, that traded on him to get him killed. And he knew that he's like, you betrayed me with a kiss, though. Why do you send me to the slaughter with a sign of affection? How dare you? Think about what you're doing. He said that in so many words just by saying, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? He said the son of man because he knew this how Jesus referred to himself. He said, you betray the son of man with a kiss? I'd rather you slap me in my face and just throw me over there to the pile, man. You betray me with a kiss. And then, oh, he was packing a lot of power in these few words that he was saying to Judas. And Judas, I know he was tearing up on the inside. So the heartbreak was still there. Then verse 49 says, when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. So his, his, his riders was on go. Like They was like, man, what? Oh, we strapped. We got the swords. We told you we had the swords. Told you we had them on deck, man. Is this, this it? We ready? We rolling? We, what we doing, Jesus? And then one of them said, forget this. Whop! And took the ear off of one of the guards. So that's crazy, right? He's already, they was on go. And Jesus said, forget this. No, we good. And healed the man that his disciple or his follower struck. And so I honestly believe that Jesus may have been as mad as he had ever been with all that. With all that going on at the moment, because you got to think, he's trying to pray his way out of going through all this suffering because he's so at anguish and so at odds with God the Father about what he has to do that he don't want to do this right now no more. And God to keep telling him no in his own way. Oh, man. And then he have to deal with the fact that his disciples are so weak-minded and so fragile that they sleeping on the job instead of praying like he told them the power of prayer does and it holds for them. He said, and he's upset about that. Then he got the one one of the guys that he was actually teaching and had him in his clique. And he had him be, betray him with a gesture of love. So all this is going through Jesus' head at the same time and everybody wanted to ride and he got to make all these decisions. He might have felt like the president of the United States when it's wartime, right? <laughs> That's what I kind of feel like Jesus felt like. And all these things were piling up on Jesus at the same time. Not, not, to, not to mention he has to keep a clear head because he's got to go into suffering. After all this, but still keep his people at bay. 
still have a heart to heal the man that his followers were trying to mash on because they were trying to mash on Jesus. That's the craziest part ever. So I honestly believe madder than he was when he was in the temple and they were selling stuff in the temple, I believe he, he was madder than that at this moment. Yet and still, verse 52 tells us that then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. How fitting that these people were in the churchyards with Jesus probably the day before. But he said right here, every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. So these people were with him every day. Broad day, and I know Jesus was probably at temple courts and the church grounds. Yeah, he's probably like, yeah. And he wasn't moving. He was out there preaching the word, communing with people, just being himself. But at the same time, they was right there and didn't do nothing to him. He told them, and he showed them how much of a coward they actually were for coming to him at the dead of night when they had all that ample time. He wasn't moving. I bet he was right there in them temple courts, in them church grounds, doing God's will, and they weren't touching him. But they went to the dead of night to come at him, to catch him slipping. And he showed them how big of cowards they were, even with clubs and swords in front of them. That's why I say Jesus was a gangster in his own right, because who, who you know, going to come with all these weapons on you, and you still going to talk out the way. You got to have heart for that. And in verse 54, it tells us, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And I want to express to you what this kind of sound like in the Message Bible, verse 59. About an hour later, someone else spoke up, really adamant. He's got to be with him. He's got Galilean written all over him. And so I'm thinking to myself, in human format, he slick hit him with that, hey, homie, don't I know you? That set tripping type of vibe. <laughs> if you think about it, he hit him like, yo, man, don't I know you from somewhere? Like, oh, yeah, it's a problem, bro. You one of them, ain't you? And so, yeah, that's kind of what this guy did right here when you look at it from the Message Bible aspect. So he got up adamant. And he said, he's got to be one of them. He got Galilean written all over him. You got that set written all over you, man. You one of them. So when you look at verse 60, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, 
the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. And they all asked, Are you then the Son of God? And he replied, You say that I am. Now I look at this as Jesus' way of saying, well, You say so. He said, basically putting it back on them, even though they're trying to put him in a cross. And I think of King Von, who recently passed. He has a song called I Am What I Am. And the chorus says, I am what I am. What I'm not, see, I'll never be. So it's somewhat a parallel expression of how Christ said that scriptures are fulfilled through him. He said, what I'm not, I'll never be. And he says right here, you say that I am. And he says in other translations, I am that I am. Never understood it until I overstood it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But at the same time, he's basically telling them, yeah, that's me. But he's saying it in a way that they have to rethink their strategy because their hearts are still ill-fated. Like their motives are still ill. So at the same time, he's saying he's answering their question, but he's answering it to make them answer their own question. Jesus was tricky like that, but at the same time, he was smart like that. He was he knew how to play the game because he had the plan laid out. He was just going along with it. He said, because now the Son of Man, whoever that Son of Man is that you think, <laughs> what you think is me, is going to be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Y'all know who God is, right? That's basically what he's saying. He said it right in the verse before that. So when you look at verse 71, it says, then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. So they took Jesus' refusal to deny it as an admittance of guilt. So as we conclude this chapter, I know it's been a long one. I appreciate y'all for rocking with me, man. But it's a lot of power packed in here. I told you it's like watching a gangster movie. <laughs> I promise you. So many times it hit that mark. And I want to leave you with this. Even with this story still in motion, God is still saying no to removing this cup from Jesus. Y'all realize that? That's why it fits so great into this series. Because even at the end of all this happening and the real drama starting to take place, God is still saying no from taking this cup from Jesus. But Jesus was submissive. He was like, let your will be done. Now, I don't want to leave this cliffhanger right here. But it has spelled out a lot of what this series is all about, the November series of God saying no and how the blessing came out of God saying no. So I kind of want to do it, but I'm going to see where the Spirit leads me. Either way it goes, next week we're going to be back with another chapter about an example that God said no and showed his face in all of it. So with that being said, God's nature was shown in this one. God said no, but at the same time, those who know how the story ends, knows that he showed himself up in more ways than one. We talked about how in past scriptures and prophecies in this very chapter, how God had a plan for it the whole time, even though it consisted of pain, it still came out to the benefit of all involved, including us who wasn't even there at the time. But yeah, we were thought of, we was in his thoughts, we were in his heart, we were in his mind. And with that being said, you got to think, it's still something out there who don't know this truth. So invite your friends, invite your enemies. <laughs> like I told you before, you can lead them to the water, but you can't make them drink. But if they thirsty, take that double cup, give them one of them cups, and pour them some of this living water. Same time next week, we're going to be right here. Doors of the church are open. And oh yeah, it's cool to bring your double cup. I'm none other than your brother, XL Wilbur. i see you then. Peace on your journey. Bless. You have just listened to Church with a Double Cup, the podcast, hosted by XL Wilbur. This show was recorded in Wilbur Dome, North Carolina. The theme song is Church with a Double Cup by Jeep Reach.
XL Wilbur can be followed on social media outlets, Facebook and Instagram under XL Inspiration and the XL Wilbur YouTube channel. Website soon to come. Thank you for your continued support. Bless you. Yeah, I'm leaving out the church with my double cup. Back to rock and say about my people know what's up.